0: Today on Indie Thinker with Reid Juberman, we'll look at the greatest threat to the US and no, we're not talking about Russia or China. We're talking about something much closer to home and we'll see it play out in Biden's Ash Wednesday encounter when he's asked about abortion. And then we'll look at the creation of yet another symptom of the death of common sense, bigorexia. Yeah, that's a thing. You'll hear about that and more all on today's show. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in today. We're already in our second season of Indie Thinker, as you can tell by the description on this video. But uh, our first season was simply guest episodes where we'd have a different guest on each week. And then this new season, we've reformatted things just because I saw In the midst of everything that's going on in the culture, a leftward shift not only in the media, but also, I think, in the church and in the media that's around the church. So suffice to say, the information that we're all receiving, I think, comes from a particular perspective. Now, I would love to say that I'm giving you that other perspective. Um, However, I don't think that the cure for leftism is rightism. I think the cure for everything that's going on, the polarization in our society and everything else is just simply to the best of our ability to try to get at the truth. And so that's what I try to do here uh, at, with, with Indie Thinker in these, in these episodes. Most importantly, I, I would hope that we understand, those of us who are watching, and just the culture writ large, how important it is to stay informed. So I try to bring some information your way and then to give you some insights as to how I view these things. Yes, as a Christian, but also simply as somebody who wants to think about these things from a critical perspective. So um, as I share these things with you today, I would encourage you, uh, if this is meaningful to you, to like this episode and then to share it with friends, whether you're listening to this or whether you're watching it on our YouTube channel. Uh, This is great content that I've worked really, really hard to try to produce for you guys. So uh, the least you could do is share the love and share it with other people. So don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Before we jump into our episode today, I wanna to make sure that you know that this episode is sponsored by Element Funding. Our friends over to Element Funding are your one-stop shop for all of your mortgage and real estate needs. So if you're looking to refinance, or you're looking to build a new home, or you're just looking to purchase a new home, these guys are here to help. You can go get pre-qualified right now for free by going to KevinBlairTeam.com. Kevin has been a fantastic supporter of the show. But more than that, one of the things even at this early stage in the game that we try to do is to try to offer great services to you and you will find no better mortgage company on the planet than Element Funding. These guys are different in that they're not just going to try to lure you in with a rate that you don't actually qualify for. They're going to give you all of your information up front so that you can unencumbered go shop for your house and you'll know exactly how much you can buy. There will be no surprises. There will be no, at the end of all of this, uh, searching for a house and then offering on a house and then getting that offer accepted. Then you finally understanding that you actually didn't qualify for the home, which does happen with these big banks that try to pump you through the system. That's not going to happen at element funding. They're your one stop shop for mortgage because they, specialize in customer service and making sure they serve you and your needs. So go over to KevinBlairTeam.com right now and see if you can pre-qualify for a home. And even if they don't service your area directly, they can help you find an element funding in your area that will help you. So go over there, check them out, and make sure you let them know that IndyThinker is saying. So I was reading the Bible to my two boys and we came upon a passage of scripture in the devotion I was doing with them that commands us to create peace, if at all possible, with everyone. And when I noted the latter part of that verse and tried to emphasize that to my boys that, you know, it's important to create peace, but that you're not always going to be at peace with everyone. My oldest son, who's only seven years old, said to me, yeah, dad, because you can't be at peace with the devil. Now, his suggestion would seem innocent and straightforward enough, but um, it's not only adorable because it is my kid, but it's also a fact that some Christians don't probably agree with that. And these are the kind of Christians that probably don't read the Bible very often and may think even the opposite, that they're so much more loving than God that they can even love the devil. They think it's the job of a Christian, in other words, to simply love everything, no matter how evil it is. In fact, they quickly jump behind platitudes like, we're not called to judge in order to shield them from the truth that, yeah, actually you are. You're commanded in Scripture to judge not whether or not people are going to be sent to eternal judgment, but to judge ethics and morals. You are commanded to discern between light and dark and to have no fellowship with those who participate in the deeds of darkness. That's what the Bible says. So my son's simple, common-sense suggestion seems odd today. Not because it is just the simple musing of a seven-year-old, but more importantly, because it's obviously true. And because there's a segment of society so captured by an ideology that almost seems weird, quite frankly, that they can't seem to grasp common sense things anymore. So where is the death of common sense really coming from? Well, I think it can be traced directly back to a movement that is very prominent, especially in the American West, but in the West writ large, and that's the progressive movement. This movement represents the greatest threat in America today, like I said at the front, We can fuss over China and Russia, and perhaps should, but these distant threats are easy to focus on while we have enemies banging at the door of our own homes. So the progressive movement is such an enemy because it holds little value in values, or it doesn't value the past. It it neither acknowledges the evil of the past nor the great contributions that can be found back there. It looks at the bloodiest century in human history, the 20th century, we're all familiar with that, right? Hitler, Stalin, Mao and comes away saying, well, communism is still great, we just need to try it differently. It looks at the facts like, according to the World Bank, it found that in 2015, for the first time ever, less than 10% of the world's population was living in extreme poverty. Well, why is that? Like, even, they said this, between 1990 and today, the number of people living in extreme poverty fell by more than one billion. What accounts for that? Well, some would say capitalism and the improvements it's made, But they still come away with things like, yeah, well, capitalism isn't solving climate change. Pushing aside the fact that rescuing people from poverty is perhaps the single greatest key to alleviating climate change around the world, the the dismissal of plain facts can only come from a movement that desperately longs to matter by destroying stuff rather than building upon the good things that have been found in the past. And this is what one of my favorite authors said, G.K. Chesterton. And he had this in mind when he said, don't remove offense until you understand why it was put there in the first place. This simple but powerful quote is aimed at movements like progressivism, which seem to think the mere movement, that mere movement is progress, even if you're going backwards. Now, I should define what progressivism is so I don't get labeled for, you know, misidentifying it. But I suppose in doing so, I run the risk of dishonest people jumping into the comments section and saying, see, that's not progressivism, because the moment I define it, that's probably what they will do. And progressivism is hard to define, admittedly, because they don't want to be defined. They want to continually progress so that it's almost impossible to define what it is. By the way, this happened with CRT, uh, at the shock of parents who said, you cannot teach my kid that he's an oppressor. Uh, in response to that, they suggested, well, CRT is just teaching history, as though history wasn't being taught before, uh, rather than what it actually is, is radical Marxist theory. So nonetheless, here goes something, I'll try to define progressive in its simple, progressivism. In its simplest form, it's just advocacy for social reform. Now this would be totally cool, right? If progressives were actually more concerned with reality, But again, their goal is not to be truthful, it is to just simply change things. Herein is the real threat of progressivism. If we find a common sense idea that's useful to society and it's morally relevant, then the ultimate goal of progressives would be to undermine it because they want to move forward and progress beyond it. People like John Dewey did this historically arguing that the principles in the Declaration of Independence are for an agrarian society simply, and that we've changed and should change with it. So on the other side of this contention is the Federalist Papers. That reminds us of something that we can't easily forget, that we are neither angels nor demons, and this is why we're creating this constitution. So in other words, we need a government that's powerful enough to rule people because people are not angels. But at the same token, the people who are leading the government, they're not angel, angels either. So we need these guardrails. So, and these guardrails are a constant frustration to progressives who believe that technology and media has made us so amazing that we're now in a golden age and anything that stops us must be destroyed. True enough that we are living in a great time with technology and media, but social media, the internet and other modern tools have not disproven the fallibility of human nature. It's merely given us more rope to, as they say, hang ourselves so we cannot progress beyond realities and truths that we know and know them to be helpful. The real question we find ourselves over and over again asking with the progressive movement is, is, is the progressive movement right? And if so, how do we know how to define what progress really looks like? If we don't know who we are and we don't know what to be true and we have no standard by which to live from and we just wish to destroy all things from the past, then how do we know we're actually achieving progress and not utter destruction? The short answer to that is we don't know. We say things like, love is love, which under any circumstance would mean absolutely nothing, mainly because English still exists, but also because we know all love is not created equal. Animism is evil. Pedophilia is evil, no matter how much you insist that it is loving to love a child in that way. No, that's just ex- exploitation and it's sinful. Therefore, we're forced into categorizing, as we all know, what love really is, and the truth that love Between a man and a woman is clearly an objective, good, unrivaled by any other modern claim to love. We ask people to pray for the Ukraine. How about that? Doing that a lot lately, right? So I, I do hate to be a bugaboo, but I have a question about this. Who are we supposed to pray to exactly? We've been told for ages and generations that Christianity is foolish by the progressive left and that your truth is just as good as any other truth, so you do you. So I guess we can just pray to the dirt and we're supposed to expect some type of positive change. Moreover, even if we pray to the God of the Bible, what are we supposed to pray for exactly? We don't read the Bible, and the God of the Christian Bible promised that there would always be wars. And we know that peace, according to Jesus, is not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of God in the midst of struggle. But somehow, I think we... Far more, are far more interested in virtue signaling than we are in any real substantive prayers. And this leads us to our headline today because we will see the progressive movement is bent upon destroying reality and destroying common sense in the process as we jump into our headlines. And so I stand by my original contention that the greatest threat in America today is progressivism simply because it means to create progress where there is none. It means to call good evil and evil good. There is no standard of morality. There is no standard of justice. There is no standard of truth. There are no ethics to speak of from the progressive movement except just simply that destroying anything that they disagree with is a social and public good. So for that reason, we have to recognize that progressivism really truly is a threat. Maybe maybe the best way to illustrate this is simply by the name. It's the most dishonest name on the planet, probably postmodernism kind of comes in as a close second because it, it smacks of the kind of arrogance, we're progressing while everybody else is just hanging out in the past or everybody else is just traditional and old and standard, but we're making real progress. But of course, like I already mentioned, they don't know what progress even looks like. And in the process, they're actually doing a lot of damage in their pursuit for progress. And so, progressivism needs to be the thing that we check the most and that we resist the most. We have a Christian obligation. We have a moral obligation to resist the lies that progressivism espouses. But I meant to say this, so hopefully that made sense. But ultimately this, the lie of its name should be a dead giveaway for the lie of what it actually intends to do. It's not actually making progress, it's actually destroying things and calling it progress. And so in the name is the kind of smacking arrogance and ignorance of the progressive movement. As we continue to undermine social institutions and undermine traditional morality, we will find ourselves continually coming back to the reality that those things were in place for a reason And we should have never moved the fence in the first place. And it is for that reason that progressivism is truly a big threat. And we'll see how it's playing out in our culture, in our headlines today. (music) Ellie Mistal was just recently on The View. He is the justice correspondent for The Nation and obviously somebody who desperately needs a barber. Anyhow, he was just on The View and it was there where he gave one of the greatest treatises of progressivism that I think I've heard in a long time. And so I felt like it was important to kind of show this to you to illustrate, Uh, so we're not strawmanning here, to illustrate the progressive movement and to show just how radical it really is. And so uh, here's just a little bit of uh, his time there on The View.
1: (laughs) What start with President Biden's State of the Union address, which we all watched? Everybody here watched it. I'm sure you did.
2: I,
0: uh, yeah. What I, did
2: you think of put it? Put my kids to bed and I looked at Yeah, look, there were a <laughs> couple of missed opportunities, right? Like, one, I would have made a one-to-one connection between the authoritarians that were fighting in Europe and the authoritarians that were fighting in Washington, yes. D.C. Like, you figure the insurrection caucus literally heckled him. And I wouldn't have gone out like that. They would have heckled me. I would have come right back at them. with their. I don't see how you get through the entire State of the Union without mentioning the attack on our Capitol. So why do you think he didn't? He's trying to be nice. This is why people elected Biden, right? He's trying to be nice. He's trying to
0: be... All right, so I love the creation of a caucus, the insurrection caucus, as though that were a real thing. Now, obviously, he's just being pejorative and ad hominem, which is typically... The, the tactic of those who don't have any real arguments. Um, but w- we'll see why this is a real issue, why he's calling uh, the insurrection caucus the real totalitarians while totally ignoring anything on on the left. And now this isn't whataboutism here, but whataboutism, by the way, is totally fine because if we're not willing to be open and honest about other things, then, uh, then it's p- perhaps because we're not really being open and honest. But of course, we'll, we'll call 200 people storming the Capitol on January 6th and then create a whole insurrection caucus out of those 200 or so fools at the Capitol um, and then totally forget conveniently the, the thousands that were involved in creating $2 billion worth of damage over the summer of 2020, all in the name of social justice. We'll forget about the uh, political elitist class that said the vaccine mandates should be forced upon perfectly healthy people who are not at great risk from dying of covid even though we know that vaccinated people can still contract and spread covid and then we'll forget of course about the repeated threats of our president to destroy the filibuster and to and to pack the supreme court just simply because He's not getting his way, and of course the one I love the most is false claims of voter fraud meant to try to castigate anybody who says anything about voter fraud. Of course, if you come against the lie that there is actually voter fraud, at least from the perspective of people uh, of a different skin color being disenfranchised because they're simply asked to present an ID when they vote, that that is some type of Jim Crow relic, and if you say that, well, then you must obviously be a racist. It's clear that voter fraud was a lie. It's clear that packing the Supreme Court and filibustering is just merely a way to secure the power of the leftists while they're in charge. And all of these other things that I mentioned are just clear attempts at totalitarian, just as much as you might say what happened on January 6th was clear and present evidence of totalitarianism, but we're not going to talk about that, right? We're just going to create a whole caucus out of whole cloth and mention those people. But again, this is the problem with progressivism. We want progress at any cost. And if we have to destroy the filibuster, for instance, hey, well, at least we're making progress. But the goodness of the view keeps on giving no matter where you're at. And so Uh, Ms. Dow continues along these lines, giving us some more great gems of wisdom.
2: Which was Mr. Fund the police. Now uh, look, can we just talk as adults? Does anybody in good faith think that the problem with police brutality in this country is that the police aren't funded enough?
0: So of course, biden is being tone deaf to the needs of those in his party and especially to those in the black community because we're not going to defund the police we're going to fund the police fund the police fund the police so biden made this statement at his state of the union address now it's misto's contention that he's just trying to throw off the heat from the republicans Rather than what's really going on here, the reason the Democratic Party is running away from the defund the police standpoint is because one, they were absolutely behind it, and two, they have recognized the facts on the ground, which is that defund the police happens to be the stupidest policy, uh, at least idiomatically, policy procedure of the left in recent memory, right? And this is not me saying this. This is the FBI saying this, showing that a 30% increase in murder took place in 2020. They go on to say that 4,901 more murders were committed in 2020 during a time where we're supposed to be locked down, people, more than in 2019. The And, and, and that was the largest increase in murder year on year since back in 1968, which increased So of course the biggest tell is that places that had the most strong, the strongest defund the police rhetoric, places like Minneapolis, New York, and Chicago, had the highest increases in murder and in violent crime. So the real reason Biden is running away from this defund the police strategy is because it is absolutely patently absurd. And there are a few times where we get rewarded with bad policy so quickly, with the repercussions of that policy like we did with Defund the Police. Defund the Police was the most ridiculous policy procedure because it quickly created what we all knew, surprise, surprise, would be the repercussions of Defund the Police. Greater violence, more murders, streets that are not as safe as they were before all of this rhetoric and before all of these defundings took place. So no, it's not because Biden is some great, loving, good, caring man. No, we've seen that's not true. It's, and that's not why he's running away from defund the police and he's trying to just bring everybody together. He's running away from defund the police because it is the stupidest policy procedure the left has produced in recent memory. And the stats tell us that. So Ms. Dahl may have lots of uh, clever arguments or talking points, but unfortunately the facts kind of get in the way of all of those things. And this is the problem with progressivism, guys. This is what I'm saying throughout this whole thing, is that progressivism doesn't wish to acknowledge reality. It merely wants change. All right, and then finally he says one last thing that I think is important for us to kind of check out.
1: Should the constitution be thrown out? What do we do? Is it a living document or
2: is it a sacred document? It's certainly not sacred. All right, let's start there. (laughs) The constitution is kind of trash. (laughs) <laughs> well, let's just again. Let's just talk as adults for a second. What did you say? It's what? It's, it's kind of trash. Trash. It was. It was written by slavers and colonists and white people who were willing to make deals with slavers and colonists. They didn't ask anybody to look like me what they thought about the Constitution.
0: So this was the greatest part of the whole thing: is that that Eli Mistow believes that simply because there were some, not all, by the way, but some founders of our nation and some of which wrote the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution who had slaves, that therefore everything that they wrote, regardless of how true it is, must be riddled with racism. Of course, nobody actually believes that you can look through the Constitution and find a place where black people are disenfranchised. Because, drumroll, there isn't a place. Now, these people might have legitimately been legit racist, they might have owned slaves and all of that stuff, and they might have done evil things in their past. But it doesn't mean necessarily that the Constitution is evil and should be destroyed, and that now we should, in this great state of utopian wisdom. Now, recreate a Constitution. I didn't say this at the beginning of the show, or the lead up to these headlines, but but this is the whole thing that we don't wish to recognize with our founding fathers our founding fathers knew things that we don't know. We've been so blessed by the prosperity that they put into place in the Constitution that we have forgotten the reality of why the Constitution was created in the first place. And here's why it was created in the first place. Because totalitarianism exists. No matter how many poems we try to recite to Putin, or no matter how many times we try to ignore the fact that conquerors still exist in the world today, and they will come knocking on our door, the reality is human nature doesn't change. Now, policies and procedure may change, times may change, technology may change, but human nature doesn't change. We're face to face with that right now, with this whole Russian-Ukrainian thing. So, uh, what they don't want to acknowledge on the left is that they just simply want to destroy. And they're willing to risk common sense in the process. And that's what's really going on with this constitution debate. First of all, at a time of great increasing polarization, does anybody think that we're actually all gonna come to the table and agree upon a new constitution? Not to mention the historical argument that I just tried to illustrate. The constitution was written in a special place of privilege an epistemic reality that we need to take into account, that they understood totalitarianism more than we do in our present age. Therefore, the things that they wrote there cannot be reproduced as easily in our generation as it was back then because they had insight to things that desperately needed to happen. Uh, Today, we've got Wikipedia articles. So nonetheless, uh, the idea that the Constitution is just some racist holdover Jim Eagle, right? Jim Crow 2.0 is, is just ridiculous. There isn't anybody with a, with a brain that actually believes this to be true. It's just merely another way to try to undermine common sense for the sake of progress. All right, so let's jump into our next headline because we'll see that yet again. With a new phenomenon called Big Orexia. Yes, when, just when you thought... Modern day phenomenons on TikTok and the like couldn't get any more ridiculous. Here we go with bigorexia. And so, uh, this article says this. <laughs> like many high school athletes, Bobby 16, a junior from Long Island, has spent years whipping his body into shape through protein diets and workout workouts. Between rounds of Fortnite and homework, Bobby goes online to study bodybuilders like Greg Doucette. All right, I already have to stop there. Far be it from me to suggest that you can't play video games and be a bodybuilder, but Already this article sounds basically like the typical life of a young kid. A kid who wants to try to get a little bit stronger, wants to be impressive maybe for the ladies, but then also plays video games. But of course, you guys already know, this is the lead up to actually great travesty and injustice because that's what we're about to see here because of course, you cannot desire to improve upon yourself without trying to claim that there is some kind of injustice going on here. So the article continues and says, for many young boys and young men, muscle worship has become practically a digital rite of passage. In today's beefcake-saturated culture, (laughs) examples are everywhere. The hyper-masculine video games they play, the Mesomorphic superheroes and the movies they watch. the top grossing films of last year were ruled by CGI enhanced masculine cliches, Spider-Man, Shang-Chi, Venom, and the entire Marvel Universe. Many doctors and researchers say that the online adulation of muscular male bodies can have a toxic effect on self-esteem of young men, with never-ending scroll of six-packs and boy band faces making them feel inadequate and anxious. Now, this is just a side note. I don't think I'm ever gonna get my wife to agree to this one, but I want my boys to feel inadequate. In fact, when we destigmatize everything, we don't realize where we need improvement. And by the way, working out and seeing other people who work out and want to improve themselves is a great way to realize that perhaps there's room for improvement for us. But of course, the progressive movement is totally ironic in that they always want to destroy everything that they possibly can from the past, but they can't actually find any way to realize that there might be pathways of self-improvement through things like faith, spirituality, Christianity, religion. No, they can't suggest anything such as that because that would be to give in to the patriarchy. No, rather they want to suggest that a young man who desires to actually take care of himself and wishes to sculpt his body to be something more than what it is right now and realizes that actually we have a biophysiological response to those kind of things to actually sculpt our body for a reason, no, of course, we have to villainize it and say, this is causing endless amount of anxiety. But of course, the experts, which is always the thing that we love, anytime you hear that word, by the way, you can always just put in place a couple of people that I decided to ask that verify my point of view. That's what expert means in journalism today. But of course, the experts don't want to suggest the opposite, which is obviously true, which is that desiring to better yourself is actually a really good thing. Desiring to improve upon yourself, looking at examples of people who have done that is actually very, very positive. No, the progressive left would ever, would rather create new terms like bigorexia. Can we just stop it with the desperate attempts to try to find meaning? The way that we do this today, by the way, is no longer through faith, spirituality, and community. We, we try to find meaning by finding an enemy. And Satan lurks around every corner for the progressive left because they will try to destroy anything that they possibly can if it means that they will have a fight on their hands and they can feel alive. I've said this once before, but uh, the, the old practice of cutting is the equivalent of modern day activism. Modern-day activism is merely an attempt to try to feel alive because we are so dead inside, because we've killed the things that actually would bring us really good uh, improvement in meaning. Uh, and this is one of those things, right? So now it's evil to want to better yourself through, through exercise. There is no limit to the ways in which progressivism flies in the face of simple common sense. And we'll show you that in this final headline. Two GOP senators share photos of Zelensky during call after lawmakers asked not to by the Ukraine. So Steve Daines and Marco Rubio were on a call with Zelensky um, and they were talking about the Ukraine and they tweeted out some photos of them. Um, I, I understand, like, we're looking for opportunities to try to castigate GOP senators all the time if you're on the left because election seasons are coming around. However, I can't help but really wonder if there's something more behind this attack on Rubio and this attack on Danes, and if it really is as horrible as they would want to suggest that it is. Now, I don't know what they were talking about, but I do know this. Just simply posting a picture of Zelensky with these senators on a Zoom call doesn't tell us what they were talking about. No sensitive information comes through pictures subliminally, except for the fact that Zelensky was talking to the U.S. Is it, does that come as a surprise to Putin? I mean, you may think he's dumb for invading the Ukraine, but he's not that dumb, folks. Uh, of course, he knows that Zelensky is talking to people in the United States and talking to people in all over the place in different countries right now, because Zelensky is most likely going to be admitted to NATO in the midst of all of this. So Zelensky's talking to lots of people. This, guys, is what we call pearl clutching. And the progressive left does it all the time. And by pearl clutching, they wish to treat everything as precious when it serves their purposes. Again, everything is in service to the greater goal of their supposed progress. Because they actually have another agenda. Because again, the whole point of everything I've tried to get across today is common sense is dying at the feet of progressivism. And common sense would tell you that there's more to this story than meets the eye. Just a simple glance. Common sense would tell you there's more to it when uh, those Democratic senators who were also on the call say things like this. Appalling and reckless ignorance by two US senators. This is from Phillips. And then this from Crow. The lack of discipline in Congress is truly astounding. If an embattled wartime leader asks you to keep quiet about a meeting, you better keep quiet about the meeting. I'm not saying a D thing. Lives are at stake. Look, I'm sorry, guys, we gotta put on our big boy pants. No, they're not. No lives are at stake because these guys tweeted those pictures. Like, I'm not even sure Putin's following them, right? Uh, that's kind of a joke. Uh, but, but the point is is that lives are at stake because Russia is invading the Ukraine, not because Marco Rubio posted a picture. Who are we kidding? They're, they're, they're not kidding anybody except people who don't think for themselves. This is the epitome of pearl clutching, again. Common sense will tell you they don't actually care and they're not really concerned. This is a way to score points. But it just shows that the progressive left cares more about point scoring and triumphing over their enemies than they actually do about the truth. And this is a right left issue to be sure, but until we get to a appreciation for and an understanding of the truth, we're never actually going to truly make progress, which makes the progressive movement a bunch of liars. All right, so let's jump into our final segment, Christianity, Not Today. So on the heels of the State of the Union Address and Ash Wednesday, Joe Biden was addressed by some reporters, one of which was from EWTN, which was the Catholic uh, which was a, a Catholic news organization. And so Joe Biden, fresh out of an Ash Wednesday service with a cross on his head, is asked about abortion. And the moment the issue of abortion comes up, that's when Jill comes to the rescue. So I'll show you that now, and then we'll talk about it. Pope Francis is asking for prayers and fasting today for the people of Ukraine on this Ash Wednesday. Pope Francis is asking for prayers and fasting. What's your reaction to that, sir? He's right. I was with the Cardinal this morning. He came over. You give me ashes and we both prayed for that for the people of ukraine and last night you continue to support roe v wade as a catholic why do you con- support abortion as a catholic to find well, church teaching i tell you what i don't want to get in a debate with you on theology but you know well anyway I, I'm why why support abortion i'm not, I'm not gonna, make a, j- as I'm as a not gonna make a judgment for other people so i know i need to narrate a little bit, but the moment abortion comes up, Jill comes, taps him on the, the shoulder, he turns around and he says, oh, well, I guess that's my cue to, to go back and watch the Andy Griffith show. I'll see you later. Uh, and, and so it, Jill tries to come to the rescue once again, but not before he makes two statements. And one of them is this, is that it's not my role to judge what a woman's choice is. And, and then he also says that I don't want to get into a theology debate. So let's take that first one. He says it's not my role to judge. Now, this can be heard on the lips of non-Bible reading Christians a lot. And they call everything judgmental if you actually disagree with something, right? Uh, Actually discerning between right and wrong is judgmental to some people. And of course, we are commanded in Scripture to do those kind of things. How do we know what is right and wrong if we're not willing to make judgment calls? How do we know that we actually love our brother or our sister if we're not willing to help them recognize things that may actually be evil that they're doing, especially if they're not aware of it? In fact, the Bible tells us all the time to correct those who are found in a fault. And if they listen to you, then you can restore that person. But according to the modern-day church and those who don't read the Bible, that is all being judgmental, as it were. Which, of course, judgmentalism is merely stating the fact that God has the right to judge whether a person goes to heaven or hell. So that's real judgmentalism, and that is what Jesus is talking about when he says, do not judge unless you want to be judged. Right? So... It's not your role to say whether a person goes to heaven or hell. That's God's role. It is our role, and we are commanded in Scripture, as I said at the front of the show, to truly be judgmental about right and wrong and to even call others out when they are wrong. So, by the way, that kind of all pushed to the side. Joe Biden really doesn't have a problem with being judgmental. He's willing to judge the unvaccinated. He's willing to judge... uh, GOP Senators and anybody who disagrees with him and anybody that might have voted for Trump and not voted for him He's willing to judge anybody. He's willing to call uh, People racist if they think that asking for an ID when you vote is is some type of, uh, of racist move. So the second thing is this is he doesn't want to get into a theological debate um, About about the issue of abortion simply because he doesn't understand Christian theology because if he did he would understand that there is no debate, as it were, as to whether or not it is moral, right, or okay for Christians to believe that killing babies in the womb is, is sufficiently moral. There is no debate to speak of about abortion within the realm of the Catholic Church or the Christian Church writ large. When the Bible says that we all have intrinsic value because we're made in the image of God, then we understand that this is not a matter of being judgmental or a matter of just a difference of, a, of doctrinal stances here. Sure, there's room for debate on some doctrines. There's not room for debate on others, and this is one of them. Murdering a baby is wrong. And the Catholic Church believes this and declares that anybody who doesn't is actually heretical. And so Biden knows more about being heretical than he actually does in standing up for the truth. He knows more about being a Democrat than he does about being a Catholic. And herein is where we'll round out the show. You cannot have a progressive Christian. The two things don't exist. And this is not only me saying this. You can see this from people like, Prolific authors like J. Gresham Machen, who said at every step the progressive movement is antithetical to Christianity. Here's why. Because the progressive movement doesn't care about historical realities. It doesn't care about truth. In fact, it is, in, it is indeed antithetical to the truth. This is why progressive Christians don't really exist. Now, you can call yourself a progressive Christian, but you cannot truly uphold the truths of Scripture and constantly undermine them. And you can see this here with an LGBTQ activist posing as a pastor who wants to talk to you about Glitter Ash Wednesday.
1: So on campus, Canterbury MSU, which is the, the Episcopal Campus Ministry, um, is um, once again, <laughs> we did this right before COVID, um, we again are our offering um, Glitter Ashes on campus. Um, so this is um, a program that has come out of a national organization called Parody that seeks equality for LGBTQ plus folks. And Glitter Ashes is a way to recognize the ways in which the church has too often failed to recognize much less include LGBTQ folks. And, and so for the Glitter Ashes, the, the Ashes, traditional Ashes that we use the same that we'll use um, the rest of the day on Ash Wednesday, get mixed with a little bit of glitter as a sign of reconciliation and love and inclusion, not just for LBGTQ folks, certainly for that, but also, of course, if we include anyone, we're widening the circle for everyone. If you're someone who has felt excluded from the church, maybe your home church or maybe the church in general, and, and that's painful for you, and you're looking for a way to acknowledge that, to acknowledge maybe faith that you feel somewhat exiled from, this might be a way to do that. And, and that would certainly be our hope, that, that anyone who f- has felt like the church has not made a place for them, that this is a sign that, in fact, there is a place for you.
0: See, the ironic thing about Glitter Ash Wednesday is that Ash Wednesday is all about repentance. It's a, it's a reminder that, that ash that looks like the dust that you're made of, du- from dust you came from and dust you shall return. It's about humility. It's about repentance. and acknowledging the fact that you're a sinner and that you need god to burn your sins and to to purify your sins as it were to, to burn them as ash so that you can be created into something new so that thing that was burnt is created into a a new substance as it were and this is a reminder about what christianity is actually all about that god wants to create in you a new nature so there cannot be such a thing as glitter ash wednesday because Ash Wednesday has nothing to do with affirming your sexual identity. It has nothing to do with patting you, back, patting you on the back for your sin. It has nothing to do with making you feel better about your lifestyle choices. It has nothing to do with making sure that if you felt disenfranchised by the church before because of your lifestyle and because the church is teaching on sin, that now you understand there's a place for you. That is not what Ash Wednesday is about. This thing is happening in the modern-day church so very often because progressivism is flooding the gates of the, of the church. And so we say, you know, if you're going to ever truly love your neighbor, you, of course, have to love yourself. You have to know who your authentic self is and love yourself. And that's not being selfish. That's being a good steward of yourself. You cannot truly love others unless you love yourself. But, of course... While there may be a hint of truism to some of that stuff, it is perfectly unbiblical. Try to find scripture verses that detail that idea, especially where Jesus says to love your neighbor. The real way to truly find out what love is is not through any sense of self-discovery. It is through revelation, through God-discovery. Now, I may be talking a foreign language, I realize, to those of you who are not Christians, but the reason I bring this up is because progressive Christianity is, is seeping slowly but surely into the mainstream, or at least their ideas. A lot of modern day pop culture pastors find those ideas attractive and therefore are, are teaching them without even understanding that they come from, from the progressive camp. And here's the problem. Progressivism is antithetical to the truth. It doesn't care about history. It doesn't care about historical realities. It wants change for change sake. And that's why there cannot be such a thing as progressive Christianity, and that's why it also flies in the face of common sense, because it doesn't care about what makes sense, it only cares about the agenda item. And that's why if we care about the truth, especially for those of us who are in the Christian camp, but if we care about the truth, generally speaking, then we have an obligation to stand against progressivism and its ideas wherever we find them. But because time would fail for me to dig in to all of those things, I hope the headlines that I showed you today will help you gain a discerning eye when you see progressivism and more importantly, I hope today will help you start a journey where you yourself can start to identify progressivism because you study what it is and what it looks like within the context of the church. Because in so doing, if we can find people to actually stand for and judge the truth, we might actually find that our world is getting closer and closer and closer to things that might actually truly bring healing to the land. Nonetheless, as you embark upon that journey, I wish you Godspeed. Thanks so much for watching. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.